Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. What if I told you that last year, in the midst of a historically good defensive season for Georgia, what if I told you that they were actually secretly terrible at something? Now, this, in, in its own right, it's probably just sort of interesting. It's one of those things that you're getting ready to have a tailgate with some folks in a couple of weeks, or you're getting ready to hang out at a bar and talk some Georgia football. You want to kind of maybe tell people something they don't know uh, about Georgia from a year ago, even though we kind of all watched the season take place. Here is something that maybe none of us kind of saw. It was sort of hiding in plain sight because of the success that UJ was having. Did you know last year, when it comes to yielding pass plays of 40 yards or more, George was actually tied for like 96th worst in the entire country with schools like Georgia State. They were just one spot, uh, you know, tied with Florida State, Eastern Michigan, East Carolina, Georgia Tech. I mean, last year, Georgia gave up 12 passing plays of 40 or more yards right down there with some like the very worst teams in the country, literally 96th worst in the country last year when it comes to giving up those big passing plays. Now, as the headline for today's show suggests, the very interesting thing for me about that is, is that that is a very bad stat for Georgia, a shockingly bad stat for UGA in a year in which they were dominant defensively across the board, points allowed, yards per play uh almost every category you could like look at george was dominant defensively but they gave up a bunch of big pass plays a year ago but secretly i think that's actually kind of a good thing because i think it speaks to a little bit of a philosophical evolution for uga which i know is kind of a big fancy phrase but i'll explain more about what i mean about that coming up in a moment but also i think it helps demonstrate the one thing on defense that matters more than anything else why is it that almost no georgia fan at least that i'm aware of would be keenly aware that georgia gave up so many big passing plays defensively last season the answer is because it didn't matter congratulations you got a 40 yard passing play guess what you're going to get sacked on the very next play and lose 15 of those yards right back and all of that soon becomes in the distant past that's what the story was for georgia defensively a year ago that georgia unlocked a level of potential that it had not previously unlocked under kirby smart georgia had always been good defensively when it comes to some of the, like the main sort of baseline measurements for defense georgia actually had put up very similar numbers in previous years to what it did in 2021. At one time on the show a couple of days ago, we compared the 2021 defense to the 2019 defense. And when you look at like yards per pass attempt allowed, yards per rush allowed, points per game allowed, that Georgia in 2019, which was the last full season we've had before you know the 2021 season, Georgia defensively was actually very similar. But that team in 2019 fell far short of its end of season goals. And the reason why, and I believe I'm, quite sure that i'm right about this the reason why 2019 was so different and so inferior ultimately to what 2021 became is that this past year's team was just so much better rushing the passer this past year's team wasn't just a defense trying to stop an offense it was a defense that adopted an offensive mindset they weren't just trying to prevent something from happening they were trying to go out there and make something happen 
and they did to the tune of 49 sacks way more tackles for loss than we'd ever seen a Georgia team have before it was a Georgia team that became more aggressive and in football and in life and in just any any discussion there is no free lunch that when you try to become aggressive in one area you put yourself at risk in another area we all kind of understand that but if you gain enough from your aggression the thing that you give up the risk that you take is ultimately sort of mitigated forgotten about whatever else and that's what happened for georgia a year ago this is that georgia was downright lousy giving up big passing plays but because they were so impactful impactful with the front seven you hardly even noticed the fact they were giving up actually kind of a high number of big long 40 plus yard passing plays that's a bad stat but it suggests good things because we spent all of our time looking at the things that george was doing well defensively the aggressive approach it was taking with the pass rush and the fact that it was giving up a big play every now and then as a trade-off for that ultimately just didn't matter very much and i gotta tell you that recipe i believe works every single year in almost all in any aspect of football there's going to be a reward for the team that chooses to be the most aggressive whether it be offense defense whatever else and last year i'm not talking about dialing up blitzes and things like that i'm talking about having a tolerance for pass rush at the expense of what was happening on the back end and georgia's willingness to be aggressive last year just worked it just worked it's proven out by what i said there a moment ago which is why when i had a chance to be at the georgia press conference two saturdays ago it's the only press conference i participated in thus far this preseason this is why when i had my one chance sort of ask her be a question this is why this is what the question was about because last year was a gigantic outlier for uga in terms of previous kirby smart teams in terms of having way more sacks than they had before and what i wanted to try to get to without putting words in kirby's mouth and kind of leading him in the direction for an answer what i wanted to get to is are you trying to chase a similar number this year would you acknowledge that the big sack total was a key differentiator for your defense and on that particular day smart didn't quite want to play ball but he did give an interesting answer nonetheless this is kirby's answer to my question of do you have a numeric sack goal for your team for this upcoming season this is what kirby said there's not internally a goal we don't put a sack goal we put an effect a quarterback goal and we all know that's not fun for you guys because you want to talk sack totals. We want to talk batted balls, interceptions, knockdown, hurries. You know, you affect the quarterback with multiple rushes. And, uh, you know, Robert Beal is having a quietly good camp, which is good for us. Um, a lot of times these scrimmages get skewed. Now, last year was a outlier because of the front and the people we had. But these scrimmages get skewed because you take so many snaps. Pass rushing is an effort play. And a lot of sacks are what we call hustle sacks, effort sacks. You don't necessarily win, you give a great second effort. Well, there comes a point in the scrimmage today where they take so many snaps, nobody's fresh. You know, and the offensive lineman stays in front of them. Uh, we didn't have, it reminded me of our old scrimmages where we didn't have great pass rush. Not because we don't have pass rushers, we just didn't have uh, the juice that we needed. And um, I can't say that it was like that last year, but it's been like that in years past. So prior to that comment from Smart on the press conference two Saturdays ago, he had alluded to the fact that he wasn't that happy with the pass rush that particular day. I had kind of used that as a way of getting into the question about the pass rush topic. And so Smart starts with kind of the overall philosophy of, hey, we're not counting sacks the way that you want us to, you media guys. And then he kind of goes into kind of what was going on from a pass rush standpoint in that particular scrimmage. Now, 
as a follow-up smart was kind of asked you know specifically about the defensive line this past saturday but kind of overall after sort of not really being too happy about that group from the first scrimmage although with some caveats as you heard from smart there how about the second scrimmage the one that took place this past saturday here's the follow-up from smart on that this is a short clip but this is smart's follow-up in terms of kind of what he's seeing week over week in terms of the development of that group trying to get after quarterbacks and still smart not fully happy with this group uh, i would say it was an improvement um but not where it needs to be you know we got uh, a little more pressure than we did last time but um, not where it needs to be in terms of affecting quarterbacks um, in our league. So that's Kirby Smart saying, hey, it wasn't great week one of the scrimmage, week two of the scrimmage, still not quite where it needs to be, but maybe an improvement. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about why I think this is such a hot topic for me, because it actually speaks to a little bit of criticism that used to exist of Smart, much the same way that some people look at Kirby Smart and say, oh, this is a conservative football coach. This is a coach that doesn't want to throw the ball. He wants to run the ball. You know, he wants to play offense in a way that protects his defense. He doesn't want to be too risky on offense because that puts the defense in harm's way. Whether that's a fair criticism or not, we would all agree that's a criticism that does exist of Kirby Smart. Well, did you know that in some circles, there's also been a little bit of a defensive version of that same criticism, that sometimes maybe Kirby doesn't turn his playmakers defensively loose enough to let them go out there, wreak havoc, get to quarterbacks, make tackles for loss, because it does make you susceptible to more big plays if you are being aggressive with guys up front. And whether that's true or it's not, that is a criticism that has existed. I'm going to show you more about that in a moment. And, and so that's why what happened for Georgia a year ago is so remarkable that Georgia tolerated being almost the worst team in the country in terms of giving up big, long passing plays, passing plays of 40 plus yards or more, while it also chased being one of the best sack teams in the entire country, a way better pass rushing team than it had ever been in any previous time under Kirby Smart. Because if you want to go back to 2019, that is not what the personality of this program was at that point in time. Let me give you an example of why. I was uh, listening to an old episode of Dog Nation Daily this morning. Way back in 2019, this is prior to the start of the 2019 season, or actually it's like week two of the 2019 season. It was, it was around the time the 2019 season had, had, had just started. And on our show that particular day, we had a guy on named Chuck Smith. A lot of you know who Chuck is. Chuck's a former Atlanta Falcon. He played his college ball at Tennessee. He's a pass rush coach here in the Atlanta area. He's actually worked with a lot of players currently on the Georgia roster, a lot of guys who've come through the Georgia roster uh you know before he's also been a really good uh instructor getting former georgia players ready for the nfl draft including this past cycle there as well working with some of the great nfl drafts uh success stories so chuck's opinion carries a lot of weight chuck is as close to a pass rush expert i believe as you can be i want to go back to 2019 for a moment on this particular show at that particular time Chuck Smith said something very critical about Kirby Smart and his assistant coaches related to their philosophy on pass rush at the time. So if you want to understand why last year was so remarkable, it's because it represents a drastic change for this program over the course of years. And Chuck Smith's words are an example of that. Now, before you play, let me just say this. Our phone situation was kind of messy this day. There's a little bit of an echo in the phone. So the audio is not great. But but listen carefully to the words because the words carry a lot of weight this is chuck smith from 2019 kirby ultimately is a db minded coach so from what i see at georgia on third down it would always be covered on third and long 
a lot of times they would rush three. They wouldn't rush four. So to me, it has to also, you have to mind frame. Same way with Nick Saban. For years, Alabama never got sacked, right? Because Nick, the foundation of this team is coverage. I just think that when you see guys like Tyler Clark come there, who's a four-star, when you see guys like Ledbetter, you know, who's there from last year, you see Davin Bellamy, Lorenzo Carter, it's, it's not a, it's, it, 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 it's not a secret. You got to make it a culture. You have to teach. You have to make it wow. We're going to bring in these pads. You can bring them in. You can bring in all. You can bring in the greatest athletes in the world. George, you can bring in every five-star. I don't care how fast they run. If you don't teach them skills and moves, they will forever be average. And that's what Georgia has right now, a group of average pass rushers because it's not a culture. And the defensive line coach and the coordinators need to make it a priority. In terms of results, there's no doubt that what Smith was saying in 2019 was true. Georgia was no better than an average pass-rushing team. Even when it won the SEC and made the playoff in 2017, they were like no better than average from a pass-rush standpoint. 2018 was true. 2019, that was true there, uh, still true there as well. And Chuck says the reason why is because when you had a chance to rush four, you were actually in rushing three. When you had good athletes that you could turn loose – you either weren't allowing them to do that or you weren't maybe instilling in them the proper pass rush moves, you know, just bull rush, one play right after the other as opposed to, you know, cross chop or all the different things that you want to kind of teach from pass rushing standpoint. Now, listen, I'm not smart enough to know if that's true or not. I'm really not. But I am smart enough to look at the results and say that in 2021, if that ever was true, it wasn't true anymore. Georgia kicked through the door and became an awesome pass rushing team. And to me, that as much as anything is why they won the national championship. So you better believe I'm very curious to see if the mindset, the philosophical evolution that showed up last year, does that remain in place this year? Is Georgia willing to tolerate the occasional big passing play? Are they occasionally willing to tolerate giving up something through the air so they can be more impactful with the front seven? They were a year ago, and it really worked. Are they willing to do the same kind of thing again this year? To me, that is one of the big stories that will go a long way towards determining just how good Georgia can be this season. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented by Breda Pest Management. Good morning to you, and thanks for being with us, no matter how you get to us today. Our 945 Dog Nation first and 15, a little messed up today. Uh, we do have the show on the site there. I'm actually amazed by this. I, I, first of all, I'm amazed when things work the way they're supposed to. That's always kind of amazing. I'm also kind of amazed when something doesn't work the way it's supposed to, and yet we still figure out a way to make it happen. So Michael Carvel, our producer, working very hard on this. Our buddy Connor Riley is going to help us out on this some. We've got an incredible staff of folks who are you know, sort of knee-deep in computer stuff all the time. They're doing it for us there as well. So really appreciate that too. By the way, look at our desk here right now. For those of you watching on video, if you're listening radio podcast, you're missing a real treat. So this is kind of an official turning of the page for us. Many of you are aware that for many, many months, the logo on the front of our desk has been the Dog National Champions logo, which I have to say I was pretty proud of that. Um, and listen, maybe one of these days we'll bring that back out. Maybe we'll bring it back out after George wins another one again this year. But for now, the time for basking in the glow of a national championship is over. So if you're watching on video, here's what you see. Dog Nation Duck Hunt right there on the front of the desk. The great logo, the bulldog with the duck in its mouth. 
We are getting ready for September 3rd, and the logo on the front of the desk tells you just how true that really is. Boy, that's exciting stuff. We are ready to rock and roll today. And by the way, a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Manager for making it all possible. You know, they're, they're, they're the official pest control provider of UG Athletics. They're also a big part of our high school football event last weekend, the Corky Kale Classic. It was really fun to have uh, Matt Breda, the entire team, involved with that as much as they were. But here's the thing I most mostly want you to think about for them. Yeah, they protect Sanford Stadium. That's really cool. And yes, they're a big part of high school football, and that's really cool. But it's your wallet, it's your purse that matters more than anything else right now. And you may be working with like a termite company or a pest control provider that's just costing you seemingly more money every single year. Y'all, don't do that. Don't do that. Make the switch to BredaPest.com today. That's B-R-E-D-A, BredaPest Management at BredaPest.com. Make the switch there for them today because the unparalleled like resources and experience they have in our community for as long as it's been going on since the 1970s and more than 100-something people you know, doing all this for you, they've got the kind of power, the sort of strength as an organization. They can provide you the same expert level of service they provide to UGA, but they can do it for less money. You can switch and save instantly when you make the switch to Breda Pest Management. Put more money in your pocket by allowing Breda Pest Management to take care of you for bugs and for critters and anything else you might have in your house, termites. Gosh knows that's you know potentially tens of thousands of dollars in damage if you don't get that well taken care of. You already know that. That's why you've got a termite provider. But that termite provider just may be too expensive. So switch over to Breda Pest and they got you on all of that. So it's B-R-E-D-A, Breda Pest Management online at BredaPest.com. All right, we're going to get Mike Griffith here coming up in a moment. Before that, though, I do want to go around the doghouse and looking forward to that today. So let's get ready to do around the doghouse before we bring on Mike Griffith here coming up in just a couple of moments. And here's the point I want to make, and this is just kind of a simple one. There are a lot of people who would say, and I believe rightly so, that Georgia to begin 2022 is not where it was to end 2021. That Georgia ended last season as unquestionably the best team in the country, riding high after beating Alabama. And if Georgia was here, pointing my hand all the way to the top, then at the end of the 2021 season, to begin 2022, they were at least somewhere underneath that. How far? We'll find out. But they are less than they were to end 2021. And I don't really have a problem with that necessarily. I think that's probably factually accurate. There are at least five first-round pick-level players from this past defense no longer here. There are 15 NFL draft guys all together who are no longer here. That's clearly a level of attrition that's going to matter. It's fair to say that Georgia is less than now than it was at the end of 2021. But here's the retort to this that I do think matters, and I think a lot of you understand this, but I don't know that everybody else fully understands this necessarily. While Georgia may be less than now than it was at the end of 2021, would anyone dispute that they are greater than now than they were at the beginning of 2021? In other words, let's don't compare a few months ago. Let's compare year over year. Is Georgia in a better spot now to begin the 2022 season than it was 365 days ago when it was preparing to begin the 2021 season? I believe that it is. And let me see if I can give you some uh, example and proof of this. Do we have the All-SEC team? Can we show that? Do we have an all? Yeah, okay, perfect. Uh, a good job here. This is the preseason All-SEC team. Uh, and I want to look at just the first team for a moment because you've heard me talk about this before. I believe the first team All-SEC is a pretty good indicator of how strong your team is overall. Last year, Georgia finished the year with five first-team All-SEC guys. 
The previous national champion the year before that, Alabama, had nine first-team All-SEC guys. The previous uh, national champion prior to that, LSU in 2019, they had six first-team All-SEC guys. Much the same way you've heard me say over and over that you want to have about a half dozen or so first-round picks if you want to be a national champion. I'd say that's a similar number that you're shooting for when it comes to your first-team All-SEC selections. It's good to have second- and third-team guys, but I don't believe that's quite as predictive as a first-team All-SEC guy is. Well, look at what you have here for UGA. you got Bowers and McClendon on the offensive side. you got Jalen Carter and uh, Keely Ringo on the defensive side. Uh, you're talking about uh, you got a specialist on there as well uh you're talking about four or five you know kind of first round uh i should say first team all sec type guys on this de- defense right now i guess it's i guess i guess it's four total uh for georgia on the uh, first team go back and look a year ago what georgia have two i think camarda was one i think jordan davis was one in terms of first team all sec preseason first team all sec georgia was projected to have two a year ago ended up with five guess what Georgia this year is already projected to have four. That means if you find more diamonds in the rough over the course of the season than what you did a year ago, then all of a sudden, not only are you back to where you were a year ago, it's conceivable you have even more top-end talent on this team this year than you had last season, which is not the same thing as saying this team is definitely going to be better. But in terms of where it starts compared to 365 days ago, there's no doubt to me that Georgia's in a better spot. There's no doubt that Georgia has a chance at having more kind of top in you want to call them household names superstar level players there's a chance that georgia has the potential for more of those guys right now than it was certainly perceived to have a year ago so just file that away keep that in mind that championship teams that truly great teams are made up by truly great players it's good to have good players and it's good to have solid starters and you probably have to have all that but you better have your half dozen you better have your six or your seven or you know, maybe even eight, but at least five. You know, you gotta have that around that half dozen mark of guys that really get it done as potential future first round picks or first team all SEC guys. And Georgia's actually well on its way to finding out who its group is, and frankly, ahead of the game of where it was this time a year ago. And that, my friends, is a very good thing. All right, it's Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pass Management here today. Before we're done, I'm going to give you a little bit of a look at what's coming up at Week Zero in college football. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to hear from Tate Ratledge who. I think is a very pivotal player on this Georgia team for this upcoming season. He also had some very interesting things to say yesterday. We'll talk about Nick Saban getting a you know a, a raise and kind of what all that means in comparison to Kirby Smart. We'll do some of that before we're done. But for now, what you really care about, what's been going on at UG practice, how are the dogs getting ready for the Ducks and Oregon coming up on September 3rd. So let's do all of that right now. It is a uh, Georgia Farm Bureau insider update. We're going to practice report from Mike Griffith right now here on Dog Nation Daily. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. And before I welcome on Mike Griffith as a guest, let me remind you that on tomorrow's show, we have a very special guest, very special announcement. So stick with us for tomorrow. That's going to be really cool. Special guest, special announcement. That goes down tomorrow. Really looking forward to that. For now, it's Mike Griffith, Georgia Farm Bureau Insider Update, getting some thoughts from him on practice and Mike, we've kind of reached that time in which Georgia begins its preparations uh, for Oregon. Kirby, obviously, acknowledging some of that on Saturday. we got a little bit of a thing going on with Mike here. Let's let him talk and see how that goes. Uh, Mike, uh, Georgia getting ready for Oregon now. The uh, true prep really begins at this point, does it not? 
Yeah, you know, Kirby said the coaches would be digging in on Oregon and game planning. You know, after scrimmage two, you can kind of separate, you know, who, who are we, who do we think we are, what's our packages, what's our best personnel to put out there, and, and, and what's the base defenses, what are the base offense, what are we able to do with the players that we've selected. And now meshing that into the Oregon matchup as the coaches begin to look at Oregon after scrimmage two. And then, as Kirby said, and you mentioned the players being introduced to Oregon later in the week, if not today, tomorrow, likely. It's always funny to me, Mike, that I'm talking about going back over the course of years. This is always one of those things that Kirby's like really emphatic about. Like he does not either A, want to do this or have the perception that they're turning the page to the week one opponent too quickly. You know, I think part of this is just naturally because it's very easy to tune something out when you hear it too much. And I'm guessing that's part of what this is about. But even beyond that, you know, as for many years, I can remember Kirby Smart doing these kinds of press conferences this time of year. He's always very quick to say, hey, we're not working on Oregon or the whoever the week one opponent happens to be until we're a week, a little bit less than two weeks out. This is one of those things that over the years, Kirby He's always kind of maintained a fairly consistent line of thought on, which is you don't begin that week one prep too soon, no matter who it is you're playing to begin the season. Yeah, you really got to polish your game and, and be able to execute the things that you want to do. And, and you certainly have to identify your personnel. And at Georgia, there's so much talent, Brandon, that, you know, it is a very thorough process to separate and decide, you know, what, what's the best, uh, what are the best formations? Is this going to be a two tight end team or a, a three tight end, two receivers and two tight ends, or, you know, one receiver, three wide. I mean, see, you know, and then as far as what you do defensively, as Kirby said, I mean, they were, you know, they they weren't able to play a whole lot of dime last year because they didn't feel like they had the defense. So I understand why he's doing it. The good news in this case is that Dan Lanning takes the same approach, right? I mean, Kirby takes the same approach as Saban. Now Lanning takes the same approach as Dan. So it's not like you're going to be out-schemed. I mean, schemes are important. But at the end of the day, it's more important to have the right personnel out there and be able to execute what you do well. And in thinking about the Oregon Ducks, what I've said, Mike, is is that this is not a football game that I think that should be closed. Everything about this game speaks to what ought to be a dominant UGA performance. It's the one coach's first game. The other guy just won the national championship. It's Pac-12 versus SEC. That matters to me. It's Oregon traveling 2,500 miles away to play Georgia in its own state. So from that standpoint, all of this speaks to, I believe, what should be an easy UGA victory, a convincing UGA victory. And if it is that, then I think it's Georgia sending a message that, hey, you know, for all the folks who are hoping for a whole lot of regression from UGA, you may not quite get your wish on that. But on the flip side, Mike, I'm happy to acknowledge that if this game is closer, even if Georgia wins, if this game is closer, if it's a hard-fought game in the fourth quarter, then that may be a little bit of a signal here of, oh, be careful expecting too much too soon from this team here this season. I think the result one way or another and how easy it comes for Georgia, I think that could be pretty indicative. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, you know, I, I'm not so sure about easy win. I mean, you know, let's remember this Oregon team went to Columbus, Ohio last year and beat the Buckeyes. That was a pretty good football team. That tells me more about uh, Ohio State than it does Oregon, though. Well, yeah, I mean, it tells you that Ohio State, I think, had a new quarterback, C.J. Stroud. There was a lot of newness. And um, just like I look at Georgia's defense, and, you know, my goodness, they lost eight guys to the NFL. Uh, I, there's a lot of talent out there. Um, for sure. Uh, but how quickly do they meld? I mean, to your point, if they roll over Oregon, my goodness, what a wonderful sign. And, and you know, uh, what a great job they've done. But I don't know that it's realistic to ask any team, 
I don't know that there's a precedent. There's never been a team that's had 15 guys drafted, much less one that's had 15 guys drafted and had 13 guys enter the portal because there was no portal. Um, I, I do think Georgia's worked hard, and I do think Georgia's a superior team, and I do think Georgia will win. But, you know, I, as far as easy, ah, boy, Brandon, I, I don't use, you know, football's a tough game. Um, you know, Kent State will be easy. Sanford will be easy. Vanderbilt will be easy. You know, but Oregon's got some players. I, I got to give them a little respect and think that, you know, they'll put up a little bit of a fight. Well, I mean, certainly there's a place you can go to cash in on that if that's the, the way that you feel, because Georgia is an 18-point favorite right now. And I, I guess, you know, my issue on this is it's not even so much a guarantee that it will happen, but it's more about if it doesn't happen, then clearly I think the perception of Georgia as like a top three level team might not quite be the case because, Mike, you talk about precedent. We see SEC versus, you know, Power Five, neutral site, non-conference games to begin every year. The SEC never loses any of these games, never loses any of these games, and oftentimes they're they're, they're quite dominant. Now, the Georgia-Clemson game a year ago was close, but that's really actually more of the outlier when you just see, you know, Pac-12 team traveling west to east or SEC team, whether it be in Dallas or Atlanta, Charlotte, wherever else, this is typically the kind of spot where these type of SEC teams have done pretty well. And all of that is sort of baked into the cake in terms of the evaluation of this game. Do I believe that Georgia will be tested eventually? I do. Do I believe that Oregon in this spot is capable of doing it? Uh, I, I guess I don't. But if I end up being wrong, then it sounds like I might be pretty wrong about Georgia, which is indeed possible. I'm certainly, you know, willing to grant that maybe this Georgia team isn't, you know, quite top three worthy right now, uh, just based on the, uh, you know, the the, the natural offseason attrition. But um, just winning enough would not quite be enough for me to say, yeah, yeah, Georgia went out there and really sent a message. The message comes when you make it look as easy as Vegas says you're supposed to. Well, that would be great. But in 2019, uh, Notre Dame came to Georgia in a game Georgia was supposed to win by double digits and, and gave the dogs all they wanted. And if not for an incredible Sanford Stadium crowd, you might have seen an upset. You know, Notre Dame was driving in the final minute, had the ball on Georgia's side of the field. But I think those six or seven false start penalties that the Georgia fans called at Sanford Stadium when the lights came on, uh, that was a historic night. And that was a tough game. That was a really tough game, Brandon. I think back to the LSU National Championship game and their national championship team with Joe Burrow, which I believe might have been the best of this millennium. And they got into a shootout with Texas early on, early in the season. That LSU-Texas game, uh, man, that was no joke. How about Alabama last year? Alabama's a great example of where I think Georgia's at. Alabama last year was very lucky to escape the swamp with a victory. And yet that was a team that beat Georgia 41-24. to They beat the best Georgia defense in history. They put 41 points on the best Georgia defense we've ever seen. And the best defense of the modern era you got to go back to 1986 to find a defense that was as good as georgia they were giving up 6.9 points per game and the same alabama team that struggled to beat uh, florida and lost to an 8-4 a&m put 41 points up so if it's a close game i'm not going to panic because i know that as the season goes on georgia will get better and better those defensive guys they'll get into sync the timing the choreography that monster offensive line, they're just going to wear people out. They're deep. They're strong. They're punishing. If the running backs can stay healthy, my goodness, I think Savon Clark could rush for 200 behind that offensive line to walk on. So this is a powerful football team that's going to get better and better and better. So even if they don't beat Oregon by 
the 30 or 40 points that you're looking for. Not 30 or 40. Not, not, 30, not, 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 hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Not 30 or 40. It doesn't have to be 30 or 40. Uh, but, it, you know, I would say if Georgia's a true national championship contender in this spot, if they, if they are that at the beginning of the season, this is the kind of game that you win convincingly. But I want to do two uh, things real quickly because I think you brought uh, two, two really good points. Uh, one of the things you mentioned is the Notre Dame game from 2019. This is a great example of this. Georgia was about as big a favorite that day in its own stadium as it is against Oregon, and the game was close. It was close the entire time. Georgia had to fight to win it. And ultimately, we found out, Mike, over the course of that season is that wasn't a championship-level Georgia team. They got absolutely blasted by LSU in the SEC title game. Um, they scored about 21 points per game in SEC play. A lot of good players, a lot of fun games, you know, uh, good memories, whatever else. That was not a championship-level Georgia team. And not being able to handle Notre Dame convincingly was ultimately, in retrospect, proof of, of all of that. So I believe that since then, we've seen real program growth in Georgia. And I'm expecting to see that demonstrated against Oregon. But if it doesn't happen, then that's you know clearly an example of me being wrong. Now, I'm not going to panic about it one way or another. I'm just simply saying this is a chance for Georgia to show how good it really is. And if it's fighting and scratching and clawing uh, against a rookie head coach week one, then it's clearly not sending the kind of message that it could have sent. I, I think you're being tough on the dogs. I, you know, Dan Lanning's not just a rookie head coach. He's a former Georgia defensive coordinator who has incredible knowledge of the system. He's got a veteran quarterback in Bo Nix that's won in this stadium in a similar game uh, against Oregon, ironically enough, when he was the Auburn quarterback as a true freshman. He's got the best linebacker in the nation, according, well, outside of Will Anderson, uh, the Sewell kid. It's not like the Oregon Ducks are, are, are flat and, and have no wings to fly. They return all their offensive linemen. Again, I, I just don't think that this is a, a weak opponent. I think this is a good opponent. I think it's a game that, uh, because of the way Georgia plays, they'll play tightly to the vest. So it's, it's the kind of game, Brandon, where I think Georgia could win this game by 17 points, and it might as well have been 50. It, because, it, it, you know, because of the style that Kirby plays, the way he bleeds the clock, um, I, I've, I've seen convincing 17-point wins. I sure. mean, they beat Michigan 34-11. to 11. But it might as well have been seventy-three to zero. There was no way in hell Michigan was coming out of that game with a victory. Kirby could have scored as many points as he wanted that night, and it could be that way with Oregon. That's why I wouldn't read into the blowout or bust narrative. And again, well, I hold on. I mean, seventeen points, not exactly, but, but, but yeah, yeah, seventeen points, not exactly close. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, like we can get into the semantics of how many points would it take to be convincing. I mean, I would say that seventeen points, even if it doesn't quite cover the spread. I'd say 17 points is still a pretty convincing game. I'm not saying it's got to be about 40 points. You're the, I think you brought up the 40-point number. I'm not saying that you beat them 50 to nothing. Uh, but I do think this is the kind of game where Georgia ought to, ought to win convincingly. I think that I, I don't think Georgia should be fighting in a one-possession game in the fourth quarter of a game like this. I just don't. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's fair. You know, the 2019 team, by the way, you know, I, I wonder what would have happened if DeAndre Swift and those receivers would have stayed healthy or if Tyler Simmons hadn't dropped a touchdown pass on the first play of the SEC title game. I, I'm not ready to just say that to dismiss the 2019 team because that was a team rife with injuries. Now, the concern I have about this George team is the skill positions. You know, the Andrew Paul injury, uh, you know, the Arian Smith injury. On the surface, neither one of those injuries should be enough to have any influence on the season. But it does lower the margin for error in the event that there should be another injury. I mean, you realize we're down to four scholarship backs at the University of Georgia right now, and one of those guys is Kendall Milton, yeah. uh, who's had a hamstring. Now, Kendall looks good in practices, but 
uh, as Kirby Smart said, typically once you get into the season, there's attrition. And does that affect, you know, that, that gets back to what Kirby was saying about game plan. Does that affect how you game plan if you know you go into the season with only four scholarship running backs? Does that change things? I remember Munkin saying earlier in the fall that it was nice to have Kenny last year because you had somebody behind Cook, but when Cook left games with injuries, which was a few times in his career, so it was good. So do you game plan knowing that you might only have one guy that can run that play? So I think it influences what you can do. I think it makes Georgia more basic. But the great news at the end of the day is that Georgia has better players than any program in the country. The only team that can make an argument would be Alabama, and that's only because they have more seniority because the way it's cycled through with Georgia losing 15 players to the draft. I want to do a little bit more of that on you with you real quick here for a moment. Let me remind folks, though, this is our uh, practice report insider update with Georgia Farm Bureau with uh, Mike Griffith here today. Of course, we appreciate what Georgia Farm Bureau does for us on our show each and every week, but also what they're doing for folks like you all across communities just like yours here in the great state of Georgia because the Georgia Farm Bureau agents live in our communities. They work in our communities. They're you know coaching youth sports teams. I mean, they are a part of the fabric of communities just like yours and mine all across our great state and they want to provide you some great options when it comes to your insurance needs you know home insurance auto insurance that's what georgia farm bureau is all about they bring it to us each and every week here on dog nation daily so uh make sure you reach out to them find them online at gfbinsurance.com that's gfbinsurance.com find out why georgia farm bureau truly is always the home team and take advantage of great offers they have for you for your your home insurance needs your auto insurance needs and connect with a very friendly kind caring georgia farm bureau agent who's uh right there uh you know just as much a part of the situation in the state of georgia as you are so find out more at gfbinsurance.com for a lot more on that gfbinsurance.com so uh mike let me give you kind of a, a chance to kind of give me just sort of an overarching thought here you mentioned the andrew paul injury i thought it was interesting to hear from tate ratledge um at the uh, press conference availability there a little bit yesterday so give me a thought here before we wrap up in terms of how healthy you think Georgia is moving into uh, true game prep for Oregon and kind of what you've seen from Georgia practices as of late also. Yeah, I think they're pretty healthy in general. I mean, the Tate Rattledge news yesterday was great. I mean, even if he's not a go for the start, you, may, you want to keep the big guy out because it is a backloaded schedule. You don't want to take any chances on re-injuring that, but the fact they let him go in the scrimmage, you know, that that's big. Now, he did hedge when they asked if he would start the opener. So that makes me wonder if that's still kind of up in the air. I think this is one of these things you observe very, very, very closely because you do not want to lose the big guy for the season. You've got to have him available come November. You need Tate Rattledge, right? You need Kenny McIntosh. You need to manage this roster carefully this year because it's young and you do not have the championship depth yet. It's got to be built. It's got to be developed. I don't want to say rebuilt. triggers a lot of people. It's got to be reloaded, though. And it takes time to do that. I mean, think about this, Brandon. Last year, when JT Daniels, the starting quarterback, Heisman Trophy favorite, he goes down to injury. George is able to plug in a fifth-year senior who started games. They're able to change the offense and become effective enough that they ride off into the sunset with Stetson to the title. They lose Adam Anderson to a rape charge. Team captains. Team captain for the Florida game. Sacks leaders. Out indefinitely. They plug in a fifth-year senior, Robert Beal, who comes in and finishes the year leading the team in sacks. Jamari Salyer, team captain, leader, offensive line, out, stretch run, plug in, five-star, Broderick Jones, second-year player, seasoned, capable, right? Meanwhile, Alabama loses a couple receivers, and hell breaks loose, 
and Nick Saban starts making excuses. It comes down to championship, and it's happened to Georgia too. DeAndre Walker goes out, Brenton Cox comes in, clown music starts playing. you got to have championship depth, and that is going to be the key to whether or not the Bulldogs can win the, their first SEC championship since 2017 and go back to the playoffs. Mike, good stuff. Thanks for being here as part of the uh, Farm Bureau, Georgia Farm Bureau uh, Insider Update, uh, getting some thoughts here on UGA practice and look at uh, Georgia team trying to get fully healthy, getting ready for Oregon there as well. We appreciate your time on that. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you at dognation.com as well. Thanks, Brandon. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I've uh, said kind of from a betting standpoint, we'll do some of our MyBookie best bets for week zero here coming up in a moment. But I've said from a betting standpoint, like I'm not that interested in the Georgia-Oregon point spread. I do think it should be a convincing UGA victory, but is the convincing victory 20 points or 17 points, you know, on one side of the point spread or the other? I'm not that interested in that. Uh, I would be interested in looking at a team total for Oregon. I think you could go under on that. I think it'll be a I'm expecting it to be a very strong day for Georgia defensively. So if I'm looking to make that bet on the Georgia Oregon game, that's the bet I'm looking to make right now. You know, not that interested in the uh, point spread because, you know, who knows what happens late in the game there. If Georgia needs the extra touchdown to get fully over that, you know, does Kirby take that against his old lieutenant? Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. And sometimes in the past, you might be led to believe that he might you know, go a little easy uh, there late against a uh, former co-worker of his. But in terms of being motivated for the full 60 defensively, yeah, I think that's probably the case. So I think that uh, my early best bet on Georgia-Oregon would sort of zero in on that team total for Oregon going underneath that. Not the full total for the game, but the team total in particular for Oregon. And I probably like the under on that no matter how low it is. So that's kind of my early angle on that when it comes to Georgia-Oregon. We'll do some more of my bookie best bets with you in a couple of minutes because there are a couple of interesting notes for a couple of these week zero games that I want to make sure that you are aware of before that though and Nick Saban got some actually we got to tell folks we're a cruiser on the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean and I'm happy about that because y'all know I got a couple of Royal Caribbean cruise vacations coming up here I got one in December I've got one in February and hope to have even more scheduled after that and when I schedule my Royal Caribbean cruise vacation you better believe I'm going to reach out to my friend Jessica Slater to help me do all of that you can call her 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 or you can find her online dreamvacations.com slash Slater. that's dreamvacations.com slash Slater. the reason why I love Jessica is because she goes on like royal caribbean cruises all the time i I know she's got a you know a handful of cruises herself scheduled to come up and there's a reason why someone like jessica takes many cruises she does because she wants to get all of the insight on how to make the experience better for you that means better savings how to get great features and benefits while you're on board and how to choose the right royal caribbean cruise vacation for you even coming up i know if you want to think way out of the future i know that one of the things that's going to be kind of cool is some of the oasis class ships for instance are going to start in 2023 having uh shorter three and four night sailings that's a brand new experience never happened before for royal caribbean i don't believe the biggest ships taking some of the shorter cruise uh uh itineraries that's going to be kind of a cool thing you've got icon of the seas coming up a brand new ship might be introduced into the fleet so being in touch with someone who has all of the details as it relates to royal caribbean it's a very big thing and our girl jessica can help you out with that so find her online dreamvacations.com slash jay slater now 
to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Nick Saban got his contract bump yesterday. Uh, it's a clause in this contract where, you know, if somebody else becomes the highest paid coach, then immediately he becomes the highest paid coach. It's obviously a kind of a shrewd, uh, I guess, negotiating ploy by Jimmy Sexton, who also happens to be Saban's agent and Kirby Smart's agent. It also gives a chance for the Saban simps and the media to fall all over themselves and you know, praise Nick Saban some more for what? I don't know. All he did was get a contract extension i was on with my friends at 92.9 the game in atlanta yesterday and i jokingly said see this just goes to show you how valuable kirby smart is you know not only is the national championship coach but his contract also represents value because georgia didn't have to pay him as much as uh nick saban's gonna be paid by alabama I, i'm kidding when i say that but um nonetheless this happened yesterday kind of got some attention people were sort of talking about that can we throw the all sec graphic back up for a second that we looked at a little earlier we kind of looked at this from a georgia standpoint a little earlier let's look at the other thing here for a moment like one of the things we told you is is you'll get no argument from us that alabama maybe has the best offensive and defensive player in the country obviously bryce young um is the first team all sec quarterback from the coaches this release yesterday will anderson over at the linebacker spot no beef there for us but we also say that hey this is not basketball where you're only playing with five guys you got 22 guys in the field and it takes more than just two top end players to get that done you know i think we're still trying to figure out what else alabama has now ironically one of the guys who's not a first team uh, defensive guy for alabama dallas turner i think is probably pretty close to joining that truly elite gr- group but i gotta tell you linebacker henry toa toa who is on this maybe by reputation alone I'm not quite so sure that, that he belongs uh, in that conversation right now. I don't know that I've seen first-team All-SEC play from Toa Toa. I just don't know that I have. I definitely uh, a little uh, you know doubting of that from a guy like Eli Ricks, who kind of also you know makes this team there as well. It just sort of goes to show you that there's a little bit of uh, maybe a Bama bump existing with some of this kind of stuff. In the case of Toa Toa and uh, Ricks, I think this may be a little presumptive, just to be honest with you. As far as some of the other guys go, you see Kayshawn Butte there from LSU. You see B.J. Ojolari there on the first team from LSU. It sort of speaks to there is still a level of talent in place at a place like LSU. And if they find quarterback, more on that in a moment, but if they find quarterback, then all of a sudden LSU becomes a little bit more dangerous team. You've heard me say that before. Cedric Tillman from Tennessee is a very good wide receiver. They probably need more than just Tillman, but he's a very good wide receiver. He is a first-team guy. And you're also seeing some of these Arkansas names like Ricky Stromberg there, the offensive lineman. I uh, think about Bumper Poole, the linebacker. You know, you start, you know, looking on down the list. I sort of think over under of about seven for Arkansas. I think the season win total over on the Hogs might actually be a pretty good play. Uh, we could talk, you know, about this all day long, but that's the list. Uh, you can find more about that at dognation.com. I, I mentioned Brian Kelly a moment ago. I'll just say this really quickly. He does say that he's very close to naming his starting quarterback, and there seems to be some thought there because of the injury to Garrett Nussmeyer, because of the fact that Miles Brennan's no longer in the program, that Jaden Daniels, the former Arizona State quarterback, is going to be it. Here's what'll be very interesting to see. Look at some of those news reports coming out of Baton Rouge if Daniels does indeed get the nod. Are there like whispers and rumors that Daniel's been doing really well? I mean, sometimes it's sort of hard to know how much you believe the telephone game when it comes when it comes to not only because somebody has to start right. Just being named the starter isn't proof of anything. But if it's one of those things where the buzz behind the scenes is, oh my gosh, this guy's been really good, that could tell me something about LSU. Uh, there's a group of about four teams in the SEC: Florida, Auburn, even Auburn, Florida, Auburn a and m lsu if one of those teams finds quarterback 
that team could actually be secretly pretty dangerous, even more dangerous than they're kind of expected to be. And I know that A&M has a very high ranking, uh, but the truth is they're over under total. It's not very high right now. It's eight and a half. Um, but you put a quarterback on any of those four teams, that's a pretty dangerous football team. And LSU right now of that quartet is kind of the most interesting to me. But the Jaden Daniels that I most recently saw at Arizona State, I didn't think he was that good. So uh, I will be interested to see kind of how the LSU quarterback situation plays out and if Daniels is a better player for Brian Kelly than he was prior to this for Herm Edwards. We'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I also want to give you a little bit of uh, sound from our friend Tate Ratledge here in a moment, who I think is a very pivotal player for UGA for this season. Before that, though, let's do some my bookie best bets. We're so happy to have my bookie back here on Dog Nation Daily again. My bookie's been with us for a long time. Back here for 2022, they got a great offer for you. Uh, your chance to kind of get your account up and running with them. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Can I give you? And I, I'm not going to sort of beat this over your head because not everybody cares but there are a couple of week zero games from a gambling standpoint that i think are pretty interesting nebraska northwestern i don't have much of an opinion on that game is in ireland by the way um uh, how about uconn being a 27 and a half point underdog to utah state i don't have much of an opinion on that i do kind of like illinois now illinois is a bigger favorite than sometimes i might like hosting wyoming they're a 10 and a half point favorite this is brett bielema though for the fighting line i remember a year ago they kind of pulled that upset week zero against nebraska they kind of have a little bit of a history of being a sort of a dangerous week zero team you know bielema is one of those guys that sort of finds a way to win games like this 10 and a half is kind of a sizable number but one of the teams i might be strongly considering for my bookie best bet for this week zero action i kind of like illinois a little bit um another uh like that's a favorite that i like let me give you an underdog that i sort of like the entire world right now is on new mexico state new mexico state hosts nevada nevada is a nine point favorite i haven't seen anybody yet pick the wolf pack in this game though there's a little bit of juice around new mexico state the aggies here in the spot a little bit of program attrition for for uh nevada that's got some folks concerned a lot of players lost uh, maybe a little bit of a paper tiger in terms of a nine-point favorite here. So if you're looking at week zero action, I'll give you Illinois as a favorite. I'll give you New Mexico State as an underdog. And be very careful on something. I saw some people talking the other day. You know, Hawaii is an underdog at home against Vanderbilt. And there's this old thing back in the old days, like back during the June Jones era or something like that, that, hey, you get a chance to to take some points with Hawaii at home. You always do that. Be very careful on this. Uh, Hawaii is one of the least experienced teams in the entire country. They had like a player revolt a year ago. They've actually got a brand new coach. Remember Timmy Chang, the former quarterback at Hawaii? He's now back as head coach. Um, one of the most talked about gambling stories for the like the week zero portion of the offseason has been Vanderbilt Hill here. They've actually had a lot of action on them to get them up here at my bookie to an eight-point favorite against uh against Hawaii now at eight I'm not telling you you should take Vanderbilt but you shouldn't just sort of blindly bet the Rainbow Warriors like the way that maybe would have been done in the past when they were an underdog at home this is not that kind of Hawaii team uh and uh, Vanderbilt's actually had a lot of sort of gambling momentum behind it to get them up to an eight point favorite here 
uh, at my bookie. So just keep that in mind for the very late game there on Saturday night as college football returns. Something else to keep in mind there as well is open your account with my bookie. You can make a bet on anything, anywhere, anytime, and you can take advantage of a great offer for Dog Nation daily listeners and viewers. Because when you use the promo code Dog Nation, you're gonna get 100% sign up uh, a, a, a bonus. That's what it's all about here. Use the promo code uh, Dog Nation, and uh, my bookie is gonna instantly double your money just for signing up. That means you put in $250, you're gonna have $500 in your account because my bookie is gonna double what you put in. So you can do individual games, you can do contests, you can do you know props and parlays uh as much as, as you want to do you can do all of that you can also predict the super bowl winner there as well using the my bookie prop builder to give yourself the edge that you need so some really fun stuff coming up with my bookie the website mybookie.ag go there open your account use the promo code dog nation and then double your deposit just as my bookie's way of saying thank you for getting going with them for the 2022 season here good stuff going down with my bookie all season long and we'll keep our eye on some of the week zero action there as well now as far as what you care about which is georgia and oregon coming up next saturday one of the pivotal guys for the dogs i believe is tate ratledge now I'm not quite so sure we still see Ratledge next Saturday against Oregon, but we did see him speak to reporters uh, just this week. And it's this indication that, hey, he scrimmaged some on Saturday. He's speaking to reporters that maybe Ratledge, who had the turf toe that kept him out of the first scrimmage and obviously who had the Liz Frank issue that kept him out for the 2021 season, that maybe he's on his way back to health. I'm going to play a little bit of a clip from Ratledge that includes a couple of questions and answers by him in terms of how he feels like his progress is uh, developing, uh, what it was like, you know, getting injured a year ago and kind of what he was able to do this past Saturday. I thought this was a very good press conference. You can watch the, the entire interview in its entirety there at the Dog Nation YouTube page. But for now, a little bit with Tate Ratledge on his progress coming back from injury. Oh, I'm feeling great. It's been a process getting back, of course. Uh, but the more I work on it, the more the better I feel. So it's been a pretty, pretty good fall. Just getting back into it. Were you able to go in the scrimmage on Saturday? And yes, so I did. What did. How many? How do you think you did? Uh, I still got stuff to work on, of course, but I think I had an overall pretty good scrimmage, of course. Um, like I said, still got to get better at things. Quick, quick reflection question here. When you injured it, first series, opening game, did you know right away? What what was the scenario, the scene, what do you remember? I knew right away what happened. Um, I looked at Warren McClendon, our tackle in the game, I said, Warren, my foot's broke. He was like, uh, what do you mean? And then next thing I know, they're calling a play like I didn't process it. So had to get up, run a play, and then next next time I got a chance, tap my helmet, got out. So so that went down. Can you imagine being that casual about a broken foot? I mean, can you imagine that? Uh, he's like, yeah, my foot's broken. Then I have to play another play, and then finally I come out of the game. That's a tough guy, and that's why a lot of Georgia fans really like Ratledge when he brings the table because he is you know kind of thought to be so tough, and he proved that with the injury that he dealt with a year ago, and he's also incredibly important for the dogs this season so getting him back healthy is going to be a very very big deal something else is a big deal for us we do it every friday we call it our big finish presented by the finish long drink we celebrate the start of the weekend and all the fun that you were having all weekend long and we want to invite you to show us your weekend celebration or when you turn the weekday into a weekend type feel whatever you're doing with the finish long drink send us a photo of that 
Uh, we'll put you up on here. We've had folks on their boat and at the golf course, at the beach. We had a great shot of the beach. Uh, the guy last week that had the uh, finished long drink can with the uh, is it the Smithers and Branson? Is that what the name of that company that makes the the nice hand woven koozies? Uh, it's a great looking national championship koozie holding the uh, the long drink can. Love seeing folks having a good time. Love seeing them enjoy the finished long drink while they do. Want to see you doing that there as well, and we can honor you and celebrate you. We do the big finish presented by the finished long drink that's upcoming Friday. So send me one of those on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily. And also check out the long drink online at thelongdrink.com and find out where you can pick up some. Whether it be the traditional and the blue can, that's a grapefruit flavor, gin kick. You want the long drink zero, that's no carbs, no sugar. Long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. Or long drink cranberry, which is, as you might expect, the cranberry flavor. Honestly, that's what some of the folks in my neighborhood just love. Anytime we're having to get together, they're always hoping I have the finished long drink, and we usually do. So that's always really good stuff. So you can try some yourself. Check out thelongdrink.com to find out where you can pick some up. And when you do enjoy it, send me a tweet. Let me know how you are liking it, and we'll uh, feature you as a part of our big finish presented by the finished long drink coming up on Friday. All right, today's golden shoe comes with a little bit of a word of caution. Like, be very careful about a joke that kind of used to be funny that may not quite be, you know, quite as funny anymore. Let me show you this from our buddy John Paul Williams. This is his golden shoe for today. He says, uh, Ad Dog Nation Daily, and you see Florida being called America's mullet. Now, this used to be a pretty good zinger, pretty good jab at Florida because the state does look like a mullet. And actually, the, uh, the entire graphic here sort of looks a little bit like Tate Ratledge. Uh, and what he was just showing off a moment ago. And this is where you got to be careful. Like, it used to be fun to sort of make fun of Florida as the mullet state, but mullets are actually now very cool again. And they, they may be cooler now than they've ever been. And Tate Rattler was certainly showing off his in prime t- style yesterday. So let's be careful calling Florida America's mullet when mullets are actually a good thing now. And the lousy stinking gators are no good thing indeed but i obviously kid certainly enjoy giving john paul williams a golden shoe for the day speaking of those lousy stinking gators about 4,976 days since they have won a national championship and more bad news coming 66 days from right now that is our gator hater countdown we will see you tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda pest management and on the podcast i'm off the rs andrews podcast cool down uh, I told you I'm doing Gimme 5 this week, and i got a great question here I want to read for a moment from Kelby Holbrook that's going to be a part of that piece, but I wanted to include it here. He says, um, how do we become RBU again with the scale without the scales tipping towards a more pass-happy offense? Um, he says, I know the ground game will always be important, but we also want to keep our tight ends, uh, wide receivers happy, and show recruits they can flourish at UGA. And I think that's a, you know, a very fair question. It's kind of one of those things that Georgia does, I think, probably wrestle with. Here are a couple of things I think that are important to understand, though. Is that Georgia last year was actually more effective as a throwing team than it was as a running team. They had more, far more runs, I should say, far more passing plays of 10 or more yards than they had running plays of 10 or more yards. That when you really kind of got into some of the more explosive plays, Georgia was more effective at creating those through the passing game than they were through the running game. So here's what that tells me, is that Georgia doesn't necessarily have to be a team that calls more running plays to be more of an RBU-style attack. They just need more effective runs when they do. And that's kind of the thing I think has been missing from Georgia. They just have far fewer 20-yard-plus runs than they used to have. Now, some of that's because, hey, they just don't run the ball quite as much as they did before. But also, some of that's because when they do run it, they don't bust as many long runs. And maybe that's because wide receivers really aren't blocking – 
you know, out in front of the play as much as they would have in the past or whatever else. But to me, the answer to the question of how do you get more out of the running game without costing yourself something from the passing game? To me, that's what it's all about. When you do run, can you create better runs for you? It's one of the reasons why we fixated on the offensive line and those interior offensive line in particular. What Georgia does, the guard spot, getting Tate Rallage back healthy, feeling good about what you have maybe is Devin Willick, your starter there on the left side. That's where the opportunity is created for more of those sort of five-yard gains that allow a running back to make one man miss, and that five-yard gain turns into a 10-yard gain. At that point in time, the overall statistical balance for the rushing attack looks pretty good, and you haven't had to call more rushing plays to get there. That, to me, is the formula. It's easier said than actually executed. I, I, I do get that. But to me, that's how you answer that question, and it is a great question. You'll read more about that as a part of our Gimme 5 at dognation.com later on this week. So for now, thanks for being here for the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. They'll show up on time. They'll do the work that's promised. The price is promised. You can trust R.S. Andrews on that today. And they'll even get your air condition, conditioning unit tuned back up to factory fresh specs. So find them online, rsandrews.com, for a lot more on that. And we'll see you tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.